Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians, the sixth chapter. This week we will be studying the book of Ephesians. Again in the evening service and all through the week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Studying the book of Ephesians, meeting in what we call the January Bible Conference. And all across America, Baptists are joining together in studying the book of Ephesians. And this morning we start with the last chapter. I don't know how you are, but sometimes when I read a book, I like to turn to the last chapter and see what's going to happen and then go back and read it. <laughs> well, I think a good place to begin with the book of Ephesians is the last chapter. And this is something that God has laid on my heart for us this morning. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. May we bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of studying the Word of God. We ask that Thy Spirit would speak to all of our hearts. If there's one person here, we know there are more than one, others that need Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. May Thy Spirit draw them by the bands of God's love and attractiveness, by the winsomeness of the Holy Spirit, so that they'll come out on the side of Jesus, taking an open public stand for His glory. Help those who are in trouble and those who are in turmoil and some who are lonely and depressed and discouraged and afraid and worried and in sorrow. May everyone here have his needs met today. We ask in Jesus' precious name, amen. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be, be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that in this I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in prison in the city of Rome. 
Perhaps Paul had a number of Roman imprisonments. Maybe he was imprisoned in other cities also. The city of Ephesus, he fought with beasts, he told later. But in the city of Rome, he is chained by the wrist to a Roman soldier. He is writing this epistle, perhaps the most lofty of all the 13 epistles that Paul wrote. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and some believe Hebrews. Of all the epistles that Paul wrote, he waxes eloquent in all of them. But there is none more lofty than the book of Ephesians. And many Bible students believe that this was a circular letter that was addressed not only to the Ephesian Christians, but possibly to the Laodiceans and the Colossians and others. And in the oldest manuscripts in the opening introduction, the word Ephesians does not appear. And so Paul is writing to the Christians, and perhaps we can feel our own heartbeat in this epistle as the Holy Spirit gives the message through Paul. And as we read it, it reaches down into the depths of our soul and speaks to each need. And while Paul is imprisoned and chained to this Roman soldier, and having written all the beautiful things that are in this epistle, reminding us that once we were dead in trespasses and sins, but now have been made alive in Christ, and it was all by the grace of God, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Salvation all of grace, Paul says as our faith, a gift of God, reaches out and takes hold of that grace and appropriates it to our own soul. And then Paul reminds us we still have an old nature, and that old nature wars with the new nature, the old nature of carnal affections and desires and base things in our soul that would reach up and lay our greatest graces down in dishonor and shambles and shame. Paul says it's not necessary that that should happen because the Holy Spirit is available as the earnest of our inheritance. He is the down payment God has given us in our lives, saying, Abba, Father, from our soul. And that Holy Spirit can be grieved by wrath and clamor and evil speaking and concupiscence and covetousness, but if we will throw off all of those works of darkness, then Paul says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in songs and spiritual hymns, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. And then Paul comes down to the end and he says, now how are we going to do all this? How are we going to live a victorious life? 
How are we going to allow the Holy Spirit to have free course in our lives? How are we going to take full advantage of the fact that we're no longer dead in trespasses and sins, but we've made, been made alive in Christ? How are we going to do all of this? And Paul looks at that Roman soldier next to him. He's chained by the wrist. Everywhere he goes, that Roman soldier goes. If he walks across the room, if he goes to the restroom, wherever he goes, that Roman soldier is with him, chained to his wrist. Paul looks at him. He looks at all that equipment that Roman soldier has on him, and he says, that's it. Just like that Roman soldier has all that equipment, we have some equipment. And he begins to list the equipment that a Christian has. And he mentions seven pieces of equipment that are the armor of a Christian, the armor of a believer. And he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. This Roman soldier wouldn't have come for his duty this morning without his armor on. A Roman soldier would not go out to the front of the battle without his armor. And so a believer in Christ must not dare to go into the battle without full armor. And he lists these pieces and then gives a great climax as to why we need this equipment. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are names for different classes of evil spirits and demons. And beloved, whether we understand all about the devil, we understand all about demons and evil spirits, the Scripture makes much of them and warns us that if we want real victory in our life, we need to be aware that we're surrounded in the heavenlies by first the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan, and all of his emissaries who would try to reach into our lives and lay our glory in shame. And Paul says, we have some weapons of warfare, and they're not carnal, but we can learn something from this Roman soldier. He says, first of all, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth, that is, put on the belt of truth. Now the belt was that piece of equipment that the Roman soldier wore from which his sword hung, and which gave him freedom. He didn't have to hold his sword in his hand all the time. The sword was in his belt. And everywhere he went, that sword was there. And it was the sword upon which he depended. And Paul says, let's get on that belt of truth. Now he's talking to a Christian. And so he's encouraging believers to know the truth, for the truth shall make you free. The truth is the Word of God. He's not so much telling us to be honest. He assumes we're going to be honest. He's not so much saying don't lie, don't tell prefabrications and prefarications. He's assuming that. But he says, put on the belt of truth, that is, know the truth of God's Word, though the righteous truth of the Word of God. And Jesus reminded us, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Secondly, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
Words are no defense against the accusations of the world. Somebody can accuse you of doing something evil and ugly, and you can say, well, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I want to tell you, the greatest defense against the accusations of Satan is a good life, a life that stacks up, a life that is impeccable, a life that depends upon the Holy Spirit, so that when they rail against you and they say all manner of evil against you falsely for Christ's sake, there is that breastplate of righteousness in your life, not your own, but Christ's righteousness. And you live so close to his heart that when some little tiny sin or flaw or some speck from the world gets into your life, it hurts you. Oh, my friend, my beloved friend today, we cannot live in a world like this without rubbing elbows with it. We cannot live in a world like this without getting some of its soot and some of its dirt upon us. But oh, when our conscience is seared so that that dirt gets on us and it doesn't bother us, that's a tragedy. But when that dirt gets upon us and that soot of the world cakes upon us and some incongruity comes into our life and some sin comes into our life and it hurts our heart and breaks us before God, then there's power. There's power. Has that happened to you? there come a time when sin got into your life and you were clothed with a blessed breastplate of righteousness and it so disturbed you that you went before God and said, God, I've sinned, I've hurt you, and I'm sorry. When you have the breastplate of righteousness on, that's what will happen. Thirdly, he says, uh, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, in the Roman days, they wore sandals. And uh, even though that's an Oriental country, it borders on the Orient, I, I, I had a privilege of eating a supper with some Chinese people this week, just a blessing. They prepared it. And, uh, you know, I'd forgotten they, they're here today, these precious young ladies. At the beginning of school, we went out to eat over here somewhere, and I just, you know, I didn't even think. I just took the bill and paid it, and when I ate this week with them, they said, now this is to pay you back because you paid for our meal. We're going to cook you a meal. Oh, it was so good. I wish all of you could have enjoyed that Chinese dinner. I heard an amen over here. <laughs> and the Chinese tell me that they do not take their shoes off their feet when they go into the house, and they don't do that when they eat, like they do in Korea and Japan. That's a custom there. These Roman soldiers never took their sandals off. They were always ready. Even though they'd had them on for hours and hours and hours and hours. You know sometimes how we like to take our shoes off and kick them off somewhere and just sit there without our shoes on because it's more comfortable. The Roman soldiers never did that. They kept their shoes on, their sandals on. They were ready. And Paul uses that illustration to say believers in Christ must be constantly ready with our she feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We need to be ready to go. We need to be ready to give. This week, this month, we're speaking of stewardship of time and talents and tithes. Remember that tithing is not 
man's plan for raising money. It is God's plan for rearing his children. And God wants every one of us to be a tither. He wants to take up what we receive. If we get $10, God wants a dollar of that. If we get $100, God wants $10 of that off the top. If we get $1,000, God needs 100 of that. That way we all give proportionately. And the reason for that is, first of all, to teach us to depend upon God instead of on our job. Remember that. Your security does not rest in the position you hold with your company. Your security does not rest upon the job that you have or the income you get every week. Your security, if you're saved, has to always depend upon God. And when we give God a tenth of our income, we're saying, Lord, I know that my whole life depends upon you. You're my Lord. You're the one I love. You're the Lord, the boss of my life. And then secondly, God wants us to give him a tenth so that our feet can be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace to give the gospel both at home and to the ends of the earth because as we give our tenth, if we give our finances in support of the Lord's work, the gospel of Jesus Christ can go out over radio to teeming multitudes of people. This church, thank God, has radio broadcast every day in the world at 10 o'clock at night. I would to God someday the time will come and we can have a regular television broadcast. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the morning service could be televised and go out across this city and the area, across the, the area for Jesus? But when we give our tithes, we help to support the mission programs. In one sense, we help to support and hold the tithes and hold those financial lines for over 5,000 missionaries who are serving under the Foreign Mission Board and the Home Mission Board. We help to support work in Mexico through Brother Calvin Nampkin and Ms. Madge Smith in Texas. We help to support work in New Jersey. We help to support work in California. We help to support work all around the world as we give our offerings to Jesus. The Ben Oates, Ben who spent 40, 20 years in the service, felt God's call, heard God's tug at his heart and said, Lord, here am I. And he's going out into the new tribe's mission work and our church will have opportunity to have part in that program of outreach for the unreached. And as we give all of it, as we, as we give our tithes to God, some of it will go toward all of this. You see, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ready to give, ready to go, ready for his command. <clears throat> Never idle, but always ready. That's how we're going to carry all this out, Paul says, under the impress of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, take the shield, the shield of faith with which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The shield was a great oblong shield with heavily guarded armor that the warrior wore. It was composed of two sections of wood glued together tightly and then ovaled a little bit. And the fiery darts here spoken of, the fiery darts were a, a special kind of weapon that were, was used in those days. It was a, like an arrow dipped in tow and then it had a pitch on it. And then they would light a fire to that and it would burn and they would shoot the arrow. And of course, if there were no armor, that arrow would go in 
and begin and set that person on fire. He'd burn up. But with the fiery, with the, with the shield out here, composed of two stuck sections of wood, the dart would hit the wood and go in, and the wood would close over it and put it out, put the fire out. And Paul says now believers need to have that shield of faith out there. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Whenever we face responsibilities and burdens and hurts and all the fiery darts of the wicked one that would hurl upon us, put the shield of faith out there and God says, you're not going to get hurt. God will take care of you. He'll be your shield and buckler. And then Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. Now, salvation is not only that which looks back to say, thank God all my sins were forgiven at Calvary. And I'm on my way to heaven. But salvation looks forward and says, by the grace of God, I am not yet what I shall be. By the grace of God, I am being saved from the power of sin, for sin shall no more have power or dominion over me. And thank God, by the grace of God, I shall one day be saved from the very presence of sin when I'm ushered into his presence. If you've had any problems with sin in your life, won't you be glad when you don't have those problems anymore? When this old weak, frail body that's so subject to temptations and so hungry for things that sometimes are illicit, there's coming a day, there's coming a day when we'll be delivered from that. And so Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, Christ's salvation that protects the nerve center, the computer center of our lives, our mind. Let, our, let Christ's salvation be the helmet over that section of our mind, of our body that controls what we do. No matter what we do, it revolves, if we're responsible for it, it revolves around what goes on through the mind. You touch your finger to a hot stove, if your brain is not working, there will be no pain and you will not draw it back. If your brain is working, it will send a signal immediately that hurts and your brain will say, ouch! <laughs> now, Paul says, let that helmet of salvation control what you do by your actions, your life. Think intelligently. Face the decisions of life with the mind hovered over by the Holy Spirit of God. Do not live in the emotional plane, but live in the spiritual plane. Sometimes people say, well, I'll just do it because it feels good. Well, my friend, we don't have to live just according to feelings. Got up and go to church, get up and go to church this morning because I feel good. Get up, I stay home today because I don't feel good. Stay home today because it's snowing or it's raining and I just don't want to get a little drop of water on me. And so we live by emotions and feelings. Paul says, you know, take the shield of faith and then take the helmet of salvation and operate your life according to God's plan for a salvationed life for a life that has been salvaged from the gutters. Mel Trotter 
was a drunk. They'd call him an alcoholic today. Alcoholism is the only sickness, sin, that is induced by sin itself. And those who would tell us to drink moderately forget that taking one drop of alcohol in our system could create a desire that would lead down to a drunkard's grave. Mel Trotter took that first drink. And he liked it. And he needed it. And the greatest drug problem in America tonight is not today is not marijuana or LSD or all those things as serious as they are, but the greatest drug problem is alcohol. And Mel Trotter got on alcohol. And finally, he was so addicted to it that when his little baby died, took the shoes off his little dead baby's feet and went out to the streets into the corner saloon and pawned those shoes for another bottle. When he couldn't stand himself any longer, he was in Chicago. He said, I'm just going to end it all. And he went out toward Lake Michigan. But he had to pass by the old lighthouse, the Pacific Garden Mission. And he heard the songs. And he saw the sign cross God loves you and Mel Trotter turned into that old lighthouse he sat in the back he heard a message of God's delivering power held his hand up for prayer and in a little while old Mel Trotter yielded his life to Jesus and my friend Jesus came in and took that drink away from him and cleaned him up and sent him out to start rescue missions all over America. The power, the power of God's salvation. If you have been delivered, Paul says don't allow yourself the luxury of being brought under again those things from which you have been delivered. And then Paul says, not only the helmet of salvation, but take the sword of the Spirit that sword that's swinging down there freely at that Roman soldier's side reminded Paul of the Word of God. And he said the Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Take the Word. Take the sword. And you'll be able to go forward to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish in life. The way Jesus met the devil, he didn't argue with him. He didn't try to outmatch him. He didn't try to outwit him. He didn't say, well, old devil, you're pretty crafty. I guess I can argue with you. The devil just gave, Jesus just gave the devil the word of God. Satan said, if you're really the son of God, talk, cause this stone to be made a piece of bread. You're hungry, aren't you? If you're really God, turn that piece of stone into bread. And Jesus said, it is Written, man shall not live by bread alone. He gave him the word of God. He gave him the scripture. And that's the way God wants us to meet our temptations. Take the word of God, the sword of the spirit, 
and go forward conquering in his name and last of all the seventh piece of equipment he said above all pray pray with all prayer and supplications in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints pray the mightiest force in the universe is prayer the Christian secret weapon is prayer pray and when we pray we get what God can do you know that Dixon said when we depend upon education we get what education can do and that's something when we depend upon money we get what money can do and that's something when we depend upon our families we get what our families can do for us and that's something but when we depend upon prayer we get what God can do and that's everything so pray and then Paul climaxes it all by saying and pray for me too I'm here in this Roman prison and I'm just a symbol of you because sooner or later you'll be imprisoned either to sin or the world or the devil or the flesh somewhere along through life you're going to feel like you're chained to something you're chained to your work you're chained to your family you're chained to some old habit you're chained to something pray that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel and my friend that is the heart of it Paul says the reason we need to take all these pieces of equipment the reason we need the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, the reason for it all is that we may open our mouth boldly to make known the gospel, to tell everybody everywhere about Jesus Christ, to tell everybody everywhere about Jesus Christ. That's what God wants, every one of us. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, no exceptions. There are no exemptions. There are no four Fs. Everybody is involved. And Paul says, pray for me that I might open my mouth boldly. Beloved, that's what we need to do for each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray as we go into these uncharted, unknown days ahead in 1980 and the 1980s and this decade that will probably be the most serious decade mankind has ever experienced. We need to pray for each other and commit ourselves to go after the lost with Christ. May we pray, every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee that Jesus is the answer to every heartache and every cry and every guilty soul. We pray that right now Believers in Jesus would have the boldness to stand openly and take a stand for Christ. And some who have never been saved would say, Jesus, I really want that to be true in my life. Help me to be bold. Help me to be faithful. Help me to do what you want me to do. While we remain in prayer, I want to ask everybody if you'd put your head down on the bench in front of you or down on your lap in a spirit of humility and posture of humility a moment. Would you just ask God right now to make these things true in your life?
Just have a private little meeting right there alone. Nobody's looking, nobody's listening. You just talk to God out of your heart and tell him what you need. Confess something in your heart that ought to be confessed to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If we come to Jesus, then we come to God. Jesus said, I will no wise cast out anybody who comes to me. Will you come to him with your sins and your sorrows and your hurts and your disappointments? You cast them all upon him right now where you are. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. If you have the burden of sin upon you, it'll be lifted. If the burden of guilt upon you, it'll be lifted. If the burden of neglect upon you, it'll be lifted. If you have the burden of the souls of other people, people to whom we should have witnessed and we didn't, and tell Jesus about it, he'll help us. He'll send us back in the battle to work for him. Our Father, we pray now Thou wouldst hear every cry, every burden, and send from this place today men and women who will take the message of Jesus into every valley of human need. We pray in his name. Amen. Will you stand, please? I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. I don't think you need the book. Number 361, I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. This is God's invitation. I want to ask you if you're here today, you've never received Jesus as your Savior, would you come to him, trust him and love him and live for him and honor him? Put your burden over on him and let him bear it for you, will you? God help you to do it. If you're already a Christian, you need to move your letter to this church. Take a stand for God here. Would you do that? Or perhaps you need to come and say, I've been saved, but I have not been baptized. I need to follow my Lord in believer's baptism. However God impresses your heart, do it. I believe there's some here who would like to say, Jesus, please use me as a soul winner. Why don't you just quietly, where you are, just ask God to do that. While we begin the invitation, is there someone that ought to step out for Christ? Just come right now, quickly, from where you are while we begin to sing.